Welcome to another episode of Think Arctic, a podcast powered by GCI that tackles the biggest issues facing the Arctic and its stakeholders. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Holly Noland. In this episode, we speak with Gwen Holdman, director of the Alaska Center for Energy and Power, about energy challenges and living off the power grid in Alaska. Gwen, thank you for joining us. Let's start by talking about your role and interest in the Arctic. Yeah, sure. Uh, So I've lived um, in in Alaska for all of my adult life. I've been interested in energy issues in the north for pretty much my entire career. Um, It really, the genesis of that is that I have um, lived off the electric grid um, for my my whole adult life. I don't have access to the electric grid where I live, and so it's really made me think a lot about how we use and produce energy and the specific challenges that we have in the north around those sorts of issues. What do you see as some of the greatest challenges in the Arctic as it relates to energy today? So the Arctic is a little bit unusual uh, compared to the rest of the what we call the lower 48 states or uh, or Canada in that we don't have a continuous electric grid that extends all the way uh, to Alaska or even all the way to the north in Canada. The grid ends um, somewhere up in the provincial north in Canada and at that point the power that's being used and generated in the north is produced locally um, and it's, it's, it's based on local resources and local energy production. And sometimes there's like a small grid for a particular region, like in Alaska we have an electric grid that stretches between Anchorage and Fairbanks, our two major population centers. And then a whole bunch of just small islanded electrical grid systems that are just individual to a single community. And so it really creates a very different kind of challenge in terms of producing and using energy compared to what you're used to here um, in this region. So one of the factors associated with these sorts of islanded microgrids is what we call them in the north, these islanded electrical systems, is that we have to import the diesel fuel that's usually used to um, produce power and to heat these communities. And so the costs associated with that are very high, and there's also a lot of vulnerability in terms of climate change impacts on just getting that fuel in, whether that's via barge or we're seeing that some communities were having to start to import that fuel via plane. And that that raises the cost quite considerably. So the things that uh, today might not be economic here in the Seattle area where energy costs are very low might be very economic um, today in some of these remote communities where you might be paying over a dollar a kilowatt hour for, um, for electric power. What is the state of Alaska's role in this regard? Yeah, so the state of Alaska has invested really substantially in the build-out of renewable energy systems and local energy for the communities. On a per capita basis, we've spent more money than any other state in the country um, on renewable energy development in the past decade. And so Alaska is actually really considered a leader in the area of um, of integrating renewable energy resources at a at a very high contribution level in these kinds of small grids. Um, we have about 10% of the world's grids that, um, that, are, that are powered through renewable local renewable energy resources, 10% of the world's microgrids that do that. And so we have a lot of expertise that we've developed in Alaska around that particular technology challenge. Can you tell us a little bit about what it's like living off the grid in Alaska? So when you live 
off-grid is, is what we call it. So, so I'm not connected to the electric grid. That's not by choice. That's because there is literally no electric line that goes to where I live. You know, it's still an underdeveloped part of the United States and large part of Alaska doesn't, doesn't have a lot of these, like just kind of build out of infrastructure, roads, transmission lines. And so when you're living in that kind of an off-grid uh, situation, you have to produce all your power yourself. And that's actually extremely costly. Uh, the way that we do that for our particular home is we have solar panels that work great in the summer and do virtually nothing in the winter months. We have a wind turbine that works great in the winter but doesn't do that much in the summer because we have less wind during the, 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 during the um, summer months. And then we have a battery bank and a diesel generator and we use this all and integrate it together um, to, to generate power for our site, uh, for our home. And then we heat primarily with wood that we cut locally. And so it's pretty different because we're thinking about our energy use all the time. You know, I have three young children and they're always paying attention to, do we have the lights on? You know, are they turned off? What are we doing in terms of conserving energy? And the first thing we do when we in the morning when we wake up is we look to see what is the state of charge of our batteries? Like, do we need to turn on the generator? What's going on? You know, why are we using a lot of power right now? Is there something that we left on accidentally? So there's a lot of thinking like that going on because we don't have we just don't have a grid so we have to produce our own power in it and it it really um, makes you think a lot about how you use and produce energy and it's and it's there's a lot of work that's associated with it too so you know you have to go out there and make sure these systems are running and keep them operating and you know there's there's a lot of work that most people don't really think about in terms of how your power is produced thank you for painting that picture is there anything else you'd like to add well, I'll elaborate a little bit. I talked about what it's like to produce power for a home. And when you're talking about one of these small remote communities in Alaska, it's really just a larger version of that. And so um, from my perspective, I'm an engineer. So I'm a mechanical engineer. And I, I've built and designed some of the systems that we use in rural parts of Alaska. So it's a really a kind of a really similar thing. A lot of these are based around stationary power generated by a diesel. Diesel fuel is wonderful because it's a storable source of energy that you can rely on and use when you need it. Whereas the sun and the wind, they're not necessarily going to be there right when you need access to that, that energy and when people want to use it and have reliable and stable power. And so you need to figure out ways that you can either store or move your energy resources around in ways that you can look at this from a more holistic standpoint. Not just electric power, but also heat and what people need for transportation. Be thinking about this as a, a much more like kind of holistic systems approach. And that's really what we're trying to do. I think that what message I'd like people to take away when it when it comes to these remote systems in the Arctic is that we're actually doing some incredibly innovative things and employing some strategies that would really push the the limits of comfort of a utility manager in the lower 48 and we can do that because we do have like very willing utility partners and very interested communities there's a lot of desire to try to reduce the cost of energy and be more locally self-sufficient in terms of energy use and so what that means is that we're doing things here that really haven't been tried anywhere else in the world and 
as we're starting to think about how we use and produce energy at the national grid level too, you know, we're starting to talk more about more distributed generation, more microgrid enabled. You know, these are resilient resiliency issues and sustainability issues that are really, um, I think, going to be part of the way that we invent our electric grid in the, in the rest of the country. And the things that we're doing in Alaska today, I actually think, can are at the forefront of that transition nationally and globally. And so I'd like to really see us be more part of the conversation and solution at that national and international level. Thank you, Gwen. And thank you, listeners, for joining us for another episode of Think Arctic. You can find our biweekly podcast podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spreaker. Until next time.